Welcome to the ICE South Branch podcast with me, your host, Nathaniel Pickett. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing a range of guests about the latest projects, ideas and methods in civil engineering. To find out more about the latest events in the branch or this podcast, follow us on Twitter at ICE underscore South Branch or search ICE South Branch on LinkedIn. Welcome to episode two of the South Branch podcast. Uh, and today uh, I'm joined by someone who is a structural engineer about over, well, over 12 years experience and worked on a variety of projects and really uh, involved in the STEM and is a STEM ambassador and has won an award uh, for being a STEM ambassador uh, in his not too distant past. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Samir, how are you this evening? Hello, hello everyone. Um, I am very well, thank you. What's your role, or for people who don't know you, uh, on the South Branch Committee? So on the South Branch Committee, I am currently the sort of incoming secretary. Uh, um, so my role is mainly assisting the chair and the vice chair into sort of de- delivering the programme that the South Branch are going to do. So um, mainly it's assisting with the management of the committee's business and helping out with that administration, sort of organising meetings, planning, sending agendas, um, sending round minutes. Um, in, the, in the past, you know, six months ago, I would have helped assist sort of the, the, the meetings in person as well. So our, our events uh, for the general members. Um, but this has obviously taken a, a, a backseat at the moment. But I still do a lot of... Um, effectively lots of organization um in in the background okay and i mean talking about organization and events coming up uh due to covid is the, is the south branch actually organizing events uh yes absolutely uh we do have a have a sort of a preliminary program of events um which will be starting december onwards um obviously it's been a bit harder to 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 organize that to, to organize events, you know, physically in the last six months and none have taken place. So we are slowly migrating to virtual events, um, supported by the sort of the IC at the regional level and the central level, making sure we've got the infra- infrastructure in place. So keep an eye out on our on uh, newsletters and emails, etc. We We shall be advertising upcoming events in the very near future. And this podcast as well. So hopefully I'll release a, a quick podcast uh, with updates of events once we have them in the calendar as well. Uh, now, now we know that we're running them. Um, so that's sort of for those people who may be aspiring to become engineers, because you're quite involved in the STEM uh, activities, aren't you? I am, yes. I've, I've been involved with STEM and I've also been involved with the IC as a volunteer for well, I, I think it's over a decade now. Um, yeah, I've, I've been very, very involved. Um, I, I think I first, I've, I first, uh, obviously I, I was a graduate member of the IC fairly, fairly early on. And, and with that, when I sort of graduated from Southampton in 2007, in my first, first job with, with, um, with Ramble, then called with the bed, um, I, you know, I was made aware of the local STEM hub uh, in Winchester and I signed up 
to be a STEM ambassador and I've not looked back since. Um, so, you know, for, for about 12 years now, I've, I've been volunteering and giving my time um, towards helping other members generally and also trying to sort of convince uh, younger younger people, students um, into sort of joining the industry just to make it a bit sustainable in the long term. I mean, talking about joining industry, what, what inspired you to sort of look at construction uh, and in particular going into the civil engineering and ending up in the design room? What inspired you to actually join the industry? Um, well, I've all, always had an interest in... Um, I think my interest started, but actually, sort of in 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 buildings. And I, I when I was young, younger, mm. sort of at college, I didn't really know which aspect of building I wanted to be with. I had interest in both architecture, yeah. but also I was quite strong uh, in in the sort of the technical side of the math side. And uh, yeah, I can see because yeah. you have uh, you have you've got your two degrees, correct, you know, yeah, uh, qualifications in uh, civil and architecture. Correct, exactly. Yeah, so I couldn't decide. So all my university choices were combined degrees because I didn't quite know where I would end up. <laughs> um, in, in the end, I, I did a combined degree at Southampton, um, and um, I at the time the architecture the architecture side of the course wasn't accredited. So what I did was when I left university, I got my MEng, but then I did two years of self-study because I had done the studying. I just figured I would sit the interview and the exam would be would be ARB. So um, I can't remember what the ARB stands for, but very related to the RIBA, and then just get a qualification. And then that was sort of effectively done and dusted. I had both of them in my back pocket. Amazing. Um, but uh, but I think I think I always found the architectural side to be subject um well very subjective and um whereas with engineering you're either mostly right or you're wrong <laughs> and i was always better um in the latter yes um and all of it as usual got criticisms from, from the architecture side about something not looking as nice and so on so i i naturally sort of did a bit better on the engineering side and um yeah i yeah i've not looked back since i mean uh, looking at stem and a little bit of architecture and the engineering side so you you're involved in the uh, brockinghurst college actually building a stem building there uh yes, how did your yeah. architecture sort of play into some of your structural design and involvement in the construction project well i i think when i approach projects um given my architectural background um i i understand a lot better um what the architect's vision is and um you know it's not something i sort of willingly disclose but i i see i think I, I like to think i understand what the architect is trying to do and what maybe another engineer might find or actually you know the architect is making our lives more difficult i i appreciate what the architect is trying to do and i and i and if i understand what they are trying to achieve and why i am more willing to help them achieve them through the engineering have you got sort of any examples from any of the projects where you, you've sort of gone, engineers have gone, oh, why on earth are they doing that? And you've sat down and explained it to your team or to your colleagues? Um, I think it's it's mostly, well, the STEM building is is one of them. STEM building is Brocken, Brockenhurst College. A lot of the, of the aesthetics um, of um, wanting exposed soffits, uh, and being a STEM building, showing a lot of the engineering um, would mean ha we meant having to have quite a lot of 
let's say detail detailing practices which would be a bit need to be a bit more aesthetic aesthetically pleasing than mm. other other structures which may be all hidden yeah so that so that meant an extra bit of attention to how you detail things and uh, so they appear visually so you know so passing that on to the team and explaining well actually we need to do it this way and not that way because it's going to be visual and so therefore it needs to look um you know we're going to show we're going to showcase the engineering but we're also going to make sure that it looks interesting and appealing yeah um I think other other projects. Um, just looking for a list where where these have been more prevalent. So I mentioned Brockenhurst College. I think um, I did a project. Um, well, I was managing a project with a team, uh, Coin Church in Woking, which finished yeah. sort of end of last year as well. So most buildings where it, it was Coin Church, now known as Welcome Church, was a big church auditorium. Yes. And obviously, being an auditorium, there there's always a desire for the big. Uh, expansive spaces, which of course means means the, the engineering is is usually a little bit more trickier because you haven't got as much structure to play with. Um, but but again, you know, understanding what the vision is, the architect is trying to do. But the the, the the geometry of a roof was quite interesting, um, so not quite traditional. Um, so so that meant again doing doing some designs. But you know, I wouldn't say you know. Um, uh, vastly sort of different, but just such sort of differences, which meant that that we had to to pay more attention. Um, other other projects I'm trying to think. Um, I think was one of the projects I did. Yes, um, I, when I was in London, I did a couple of interesting projects. So yeah, Park Place in Mayfair. Yeah, you've got you've got quite a few. You've got quite a few actually in London because you sort of kind of started off in Lon London. And you sort of then sort of moved a bit further out and then sort of then you've come back again. So Correct. Yeah. So I, I, I spent the first five years of my career in Winchester where I'm based. So working on yeah. South uh, South South based projects. And I went to do two years in London, basically to get some experience of London projects. Yeah. And then I moved back here in 2013 and I'm back in the um, back in the South branch again. So the London projects were, you know, were obviously uh, a bit more high profile and um, definitely the architecture and the, the structural engineering worked hand in hand um, a lot more. And the, 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 the consultancy I worked with um, in in London were, were in fact one of the reasons I joined them was because they, you know, they believe strongly that, you know, architecture and engineering should work closer together. Was that a mixture of residential and commercial? Um, at the time, uh, an infrastructure. Yes, correct. So, so Mayfair was was, was effectively a, a very fancy um, eight-story property uh, in Mayfair, completely clad in black, and it's appeared in a few magazines. Um, so the structure was was very tricky. It was, it was a very challenging project. Um, Shoreditch Village was was an apartment block. Uh, next to some train lines, so so fairly typical. The ground floor and the basement were commercial with restaurant, and the upper floors were residential. Uh, and again, it's quite a striking mm. building with some very interesting sort of architectural and um, and structural features. So these were, I would say, the the, the two the two bigger projects in London um, I worked with. And yeah. actually, I my mean... my projects in London were very very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to talk, obviously, about your biggest project in terms of cost, uh, which is when 
of sort of the start of your start of your career again sort of well sort of uh two years out of university i think 2019 uh when you did the blade technology center in the isle of wight yeah uh and actually it's nominated for quite a lot of awards and, and it won a few yes yeah so at the time i was only a graduate so i can't take credit for for the delivery of a project but i i saw you know, I was working as part of a team uh, with with uh, Ramble Riverbird, and yeah, to, to to be working on this project, I mean, I, th- I think maybe I didn't realize it then, but now I appreciate how 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 it com- how much of a complex project it is, um, and it was it was mm. huge. It was over 100 meters long. Um, it had two halls, which are about 55 meters wide. Um, you know, sort of as big as football stadiums. You know, there were comparisons to airplane yeah. hangars. And it was it was amazing because it was such a big structure. Um, it needed a, an industrial building with very sort of high tech fa- uh, facilities. And what they were going to do at the building was research and development in the next generation of wind turbine blades, whereby the blades would be over 100 meters. Hence, the building had to be longer. Wow. So so seeing um, seeing the kits the the kit. Showing, being shown images and photos of a kit which would have to go into the, the building was, was was fascinating, and it was positioned on the river because you the only way they could get material and you know wind turbine blades to it was from the river. Um, I mean, I've seen the uh, the barge they bring it, uh, the barge they bring it in out of. It's called Blade Runner yes, Two. Uh, I always yes. wonder what happened to Blade Runner One. <laughs> I've never seen that no, one. No, so, so that, that was a fascinating project. Obviously, there was a big team working on it. And I learned so much about designing steel frames on this project. And I still use my experience from that project now. Um, some of the crane, cranes were, were, were huge. Yeah. So did you take sort of, you know, I think when people talk about bridges, they always think big road bridges, out, outside bridges. And actually, the next project you worked on was uh, in Tate Modern. Uh too and actually did an, a bridge that was inside a building correct yeah. which is a little bit different uh, from you know being university and expecting all the big you know big road heavy civils and stuff and then you go oh a little pedestrian one inside how was that because that, that sort of you started doing some design and dynamic analysis correct. yes yeah correct um i so i my, my background as a, as a structural engineer is mainly focused on buildings so actually I, I've never uh, I've never done the design of a road bridge, uh, so it's, it's not something that I've, I've come across having to do that in my career so far. So so the bridges I have done have always been inside of buildings. Um, so in, in a way, arguably a lot simpler than road bridges, but they're still quite challenging and still interesting. Uh, you still have the dynamic effects to to take into account to make sure that the bridges are comfortable. Um, you know, it's all about perception when you come. You know, when it comes to, to to the design of bridges and making sure, you know, people don't feel that it's it's moving too much. <laughs> um, so, um, so 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 that project, I, w- I was only playing a small part um, of a, of a project on, on the Tate Modern Two, and yeah. it was only focused on the bridge. And I I have to admit, um, since I designed it, I have not actually been to uh, to Tate Modern Two, so um, I. I don't know whether it's been built the way it was designed. Um, um, I, I just, I've just not been since. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it, sometimes it happens. Maybe one day yeah, you'll be able to go back happens. up with the family. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah if if I go friends. and I, I'll be, you know, if it's there and it'll be like, I, I know, I, you know, I do remember all the projects in my head and I know yes. how it's supposed to look. 
and it'll be I suppose a pleasant surprise if if it's there the way the way was drawn. I mean, do you do you do that? Do you do you go around and and tell people you know if you're driving past with your friends or with your family, you go oh oh I I designed that you know oh you know I worked on that one. Have you started doing that yet or? Absolutely, yeah. I I think it's one of the you know as as a civil and structural engineers, and this is something I tell all the students when I do the STEM activities. It's one of the few jobs you see something tangible at the end of it. Um, and, and as you as you know, working for a contractor, you know we spend months and ye- if not years on a project, and it's nice to see something at the end. Um, and yeah, especially the ones in London. Um, I suppose they're, 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 they're definitely the nicer ones in public. And mm. I've, you know, when I'm going to London, I've especially made the detour to go and look at them. And it just, it just makes me super proud to see these buildings being used. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking earlier, you talked about that actually having sustainable and sustainable construction is something that you're quite passionate and interested in and something you try and incorporate, incorporate into your designs. Um, you include it in the STEM building uh, and you've got a, a BRIAM score of excellent, which is very impressive. Uh, yeah, it's a, a tricky thing to do. Have you got any other projects that you are, that you incorporate sort of sustainable design uh, and any other projects that potentially fall under BRIAM as well? Um, I Yes, uh, absolutely. So um, interestingly, and... Um, and I've not been, I'm not too au fait why, but the last, the last year or so, the projects I've been, work, I've been working on haven't had really um, sort of need to meet Briam, but certainly I've worked on several projects where we had to meet very good and excellent. Um, I, I had to admit, though, that, you know, I, I have always felt that as a structural engineer, our input is quite limited. Uh, in terms of sort of environmental credentials, depending on where we're brought in to deliver the project. And um, I do know from, from you know, when I was doing my, my going for my chartership about five years ago, there was sort of an article by the ISTRAP-T sort of highlighting that in terms of percentage, our, our the proportion of contribution from structural engineer is not as high as, as it could be. But hopefully this will change um, because we're trying to get to sort of um, zero carbon within the next few decades. And certainly, structural engineers um, will will need to to play a bigger role in making sure embodied carbon um, is as minimum as possible. Um, at, at the moment, on the projects we're doing, um, it's sort of where I am currently at Scott White and Hickins, um, a lot of the BRIAM credits tend to come from sustainable urban drainage systems. So, although um, civil engineering, sort of below ground engineering, is not my my main uh, my main sort of um, area of work. It is something I do work in. Um, and certainly we always strive to achieve, um, you know, 100% suds on projects uh, where the ground permits. Uh, it's, it's making sure that, you know, we, we don't contribute to, to flooding um, of, the, of the local sewers. We always mention that we try to manage uh, surface water within our sites, within the sites, um, you know, um, and also minimizing watercourse pollution. There's, you know, there's many things. So I think our, our efforts tend tends to be on the on the drainage side. Um, but 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 also um, when it when it comes to the buildings themselves, um, very often, you know, for concrete frames, we, we can make use of thermal mass, which is which is um, uh, one of one of the benefits of using the RC frames. Um, but 
but as I said, it, it tends to it tends to depend if if uh, if if as a structural engineer we get brought in sort of much later during the design process and a lot of the design principles have already been agreed with a client and the architect at an early stage, our input is 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 less and uh, there's always value in 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 sort of design teams being set up quite early um, so that everyone can can everyone in the team all professionals can suggest ideas for making buildings and projects in general more sustainable yes before before sort of a client get, gets too far forward with an idea yeah no that's um sounds quite a reasonable thing to do and i i mean as a contractor when i look at briam i only sort of I feel that our influence is very minor because the biggest changes happen during the design phase because that's when you choose your materials and you, you are correct. Yeah, yeah. You're pretty much picking the fabric of what what you're going to construct with. There's only so yeah. much you can do when it gets to site. You can obviously make sure you manage your waste and materials okay. correctly, yeah. but yeah, yeah. The, most of the work is is done before it, uh, shovels yeah. go into the ground. But- but that's a, the benefit of having design and build contracts um, these days and procurement, where we have early early contractor involvement, and then then the contribution from contractors is much higher than it would otherwise be. So, so and I'm and I'm all for it. Not not just not just from a sustainability point of view, but generally from other procurement design solutions coming up with ideas. Maybe you know a, a consulting team may not come up with. Yeah. Oh. Well, um... Well, thank you, Samir. Uh, it's been really good talking to you this evening uh, and, and giving up your time as well to come have a chat uh, on the podcast. You're welcome. Uh, much appreciated. Um, hopefully we'll have you back again in the future. Uh, maybe talk yeah. about some, some, some more subjects. We've covered a lot today, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in say like in a year's time, I can reflect on my year as a secretary on the committee uh, and we can, we can talk about what we've done and... Um, you know what's what's next that, that's perfect that would be absolutely amazing thank you samir thank you for listening to the icu south branch podcast with me your host nathaniel pickett if you've enjoyed the podcast don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends families and colleagues you can also find out about the latest branch events and news by following us on twitter at icu underscore south branch or search ICE South Branch on LinkedIn.